Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today on the program again. I, I trust you've been blessed by following us regularly uh, on the program. We've been teaching now for probably, I don't know, somewhere around 15, 16 weeks, somewhere in that range, out of the book of Revelation. And uh, we haven't finished chapter 2 yet. So it's, <laughs> it's been uh, some great things I believe the Lord has said to us. I believe uh, are really, really timely for this particular season. On the set with me again today is my oldest son, Jeremy, who pastors a great church in Winchester, Virginia. It's a church plant there that him and my youngest son uh, have uh, planted there. And uh, you would be blessed to drop by there on a Monday night and be with them in one of their services. They simply meet on Monday night at this particular time. Information and location is on his website. And you can either, you'll see that in a few moments come up on the screen, or you can contact us for more information. Also, uh, we are coming to a city near you. And uh, you could check our website again for our itinerary because we travel. I travel all the time. Uh, I attend a local church in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, which is pastored by uh, my sister and uh, her husband, Lisa and Dan Unger. And you'd be blessed to go by there at Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, and be there for a service. I'm not there mostly on Sundays because I travel. And uh, we'd just love to see you in one of these places. Uh, uh, it's just been a blessing to meet a lot of our television audience. Your words of encouragement via Facebook, your notes to us, uh, your support means the world to us. It really lets me know uh, that you are enjoying what we're saying. We've really been testing the water for the last several weeks to see how our audience is responding to the things we're sharing, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming and incredible, and it has really encouraged us. And we want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for doing that. Uh, even when you contact us, let me just say this to you, we don't try to get you to contact us so that we can get your mailing address or information. If you call or uh, you don't ever want to be contacted again by us, we, we will honor that. But we don't do that just to gather information and try to barrage you with a whole bunch of campaigns. We just don't do that. We've uh, had the Lord and our partners have helped us to be able to uh, do this, uh, and, and uh, we, we're thankful for that. So. Uh, Tune in every week, though, and uh, watch and share this with your churches on Wednesday nights. A lot of churches that have been sharing the YouTube stuff with uh, their congregations as an ongoing teaching in their Wednesday night meeting. What an idea to be able to just pull down from the web and project it on your screen and uh, let you share uh, with your people some of the things that we're sharing. Uh, we're, we're going to try to wrap up the church at Pergamos in this particular segment, but we've been talking about uh, the seven churches that are in Asia. And what we dealt with, first of all, is that these are seven real churches that were really in Asia during this, I believe, first century church. And he's dealing with every one of them. If you've followed us, you've seen how we're dealing with how these churches are transitioning from an old covenant to a new covenant because they are really the first church that's walking through the difficulties and, uh, you know, the struggles of how do I live in this new covenant? How do I move from an old covenant? I mean, you know, the paradigm shift, Jeremy, had to just be incredible. Even when you look back at the early church in Acts and Gentiles are getting saved, that's a totally, I mean, a, a complete paradigm shift because they're saying, what should we do with these Gentiles? 
I mean, should we put them back up under the law? And, you know, Peter said, you know, uh, we couldn't keep it ourselves. Let's why be put, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, even the one of the early Jerusalem councils was they agreed to not put the Gentiles back up under the law of Moses or under circumcision, but to yeah. simply abstain from fornication, from meat offered to idols, and to uh, remember the poor. And, you know, there was a different and uh, a progressive unfolding you know, uh, as they begin to continue their revelation of it. And uh, even uh, a lot of times people don't really grasp this thought when they read the Gospels, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was written to a Jewish audience that were under the law, that were transitioning out of law into the kingdom or into the grace, into the new covenant. And so uh, I believe we've been saying some things that I think is pretty powerfully balanced about, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're talking about not only uh, what you got free from, but we're also talking about, you know, what you have not just turned from in repentance, but what you turn to. And so repentance is not a bad word. It uh, simply means it's a change of the way you think. And I believe that we're in the greatest paradigm shift. You know, although this was written to the first century church, it's certainly uh, relevant to the church today, uh, who is still shifting in its mindset from an old covenant mindset to a new covenant mindset. Uh, but this church, Pergamos, was written, and again we dealt with the, the concept of uh, uh, the Pergamos being about mixture. We talked about the mixture of two covenants, and we talked about the error of Balaam. We talked about how Balaam was hired to curse people who are not under a curse, and we talked about uh, the Nicolaitan spirit. We talked about how uh, Nicolaitan literally means to dominate the people, or the people to dominate, mm-hmm. you know, the leadership, and so uh, <coughs> it can be abused on either side of power. But we also talked about how the Nicolaitan was a uh, group of people who had uh, moved into lasciviousness and how that even in the message of grace you can use grace as an occasion to the flesh and uh, you know uh, but you know we talked about how uh, under the new covenant we don't live according to the letter but we do live out of the newness of life by the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit working in us so it changes us it brings us into a fresh, you know, revelation. So uh, he tells them, you know, that uh, uh, that if they will repent, and this is the part I want to get to. We've read it in every other time, and I want to really make sure we got enough time to cover this in this one. But he tells this church, and I, if, once again, I encourage you, if you did not see the former ones, go back and watch them. It'll help bring you up to speed to where we're at right now. But in verse 17 of chapter number 2, book of Revelation, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcomes. Will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, that no man knows, saving he that receives it. In in one of the earlier segments that we did, we talked about how, again, uh, Pergamos means mixture mixed marriage specifically. And what we showed is that it's not a ethnic thing, but it was a marriage. It was living in two different covenants. You're either married to Adam or you're married to Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, we showed you how Romans 7 says that, uh, uh, you know, that as long as your first that a woman which is bound by the law to her husband as long as her husband's alive. But if her husband's dead, she's freed from the law of her husband so that she's free to be married to another. Verse 4 tells you that the other man that we're married to is we're married to him who is raised from the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. So we know the second husband was Christ and the first husband was Adam. The old covenant keeps you bound to the old man. The new covenant is your covenant that's bound. It's your marriage certificate that keeps you bound 
to the new man, where you serve not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. And one of the powerful things we began to really deal with is identification and knowing that you are not in Adam any longer. And so when I get to these last several pages, uh, or not last several pages, but the last verse of these promises, he says, to him that overcomes, I'm going to give him a new name. Mm -hmm. Now if that's not a new identification with the new nature, I don't know what it is. Not only does he say, I'll give him a new name, he says, I will give him a white stone, and I'll give him hidden manna. Man, there's too much here to try to squeeze in. But all three of those things are things that are in the third dimension of the tabernacle of Moses. They are inside of the Ark of the Covenant, inside the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. Now to, to take a long drawn out thing and make it as simple as I know how to say, that one that Moses had in his tabernacle behind door number three or in the most holy place had an angel that stood at the head and an angel or a cherubim that stood at the foot on that mercy seat and they faced each other and they cried, holy, holy, holy. We're about to see a repeat of that in chapter four because the living creature is about to cry, holy, 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 because they're focusing on the same thing, yep. the same mercy seat. But to make this as simple as I know how to make it, when Mary walked down to the tomb of Jesus, on resurrection morning the stone was rolled away, which to me signifies in pictures that the law has been fulfilled and taken out of the picture. And she stooped down, Jeremy, she saw an angel standing at the fit, head, and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. Now let me tell you that if you see an angel at the head and an angel at the foot, what is between these two angels is what's called our propitiation. Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection became our propitiation, which is the Greek word for mercy seat. So the mer if you've got an angel at the head, an angel at the foot, and a mercy seat here, then the real Ark of the Covenant, the one Moses had was a shadow. This is the substance. Mm -hmm. So when I look at this mercy seat and I see this Ark of the Covenant, inside of it it's got hidden manna and a white stone and a rod of Aaron that budded, what I'm seeing is, what I'm seeing is that this mercy seat is wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that if I'm going to feed on hidden manna, one thing I'm going to feed on is the bread of what Jesus did because when He, you know, He, he says this in the New Covenant, He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. So when we eat hidden manna, what we're doing is we're feeding on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything we're going to preach is going to connect right back to, I mean, I think it's so powerful how this connects. But uh, one of the things I saw about manna that I hadn't seen before was that, uh, well, I'd seen it back several years ago, but uh, was that when God gave them the manna, He said that I'm going to give them manna to see if they will obey my word or not. Well, survey says they didn't obey His word. But there was some manna that He took and He put in a pot, a gold pot, hid it in the mercy seat. And what that simply was is Jesus identifying with my rebellion and through His death, burial, and resurrection, God has a pot of bread that now we could look at and that He can look at that says all of your rebellion has been dealt with in Christ. Hallelujah. And you can feed on this bread that lets you draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And last but not least, when I think about this white stone, we started to introduce this last week, and I know I'm taking a lot of time in the introduction, but, but I'll let you jump in here in just a moment. It was in the book of Ezra, and I'm going to run over there real quick because this is chapter number 2, uh, book of Ezra, verse number 63. They're coming back from Babylonian captivity. The city is being restored by a man by the name of Ezra who was a priest.
And he writes this right in the middle of all this. Uh, the, these are the ones that came back from this tribe. These are the, and you get lost in the middle of all that who came back and how many of there was. And you, you sometimes you skip over that quit. But right in the middle, it's a powerful nugget. Because in verse 32 of Ezra chapter 2, it says, These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted, put from the priest priesthood. And the Tershatha, which is literally the governor, said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things until there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. Now that's powerful to me because they're coming back from Babylonian captivity. They're coming back from, can I say it like this, religious confusion, and they don't know who they are. They sought their register. Identity was missing. Mm -hmm. And you so powerfully spoke of that in some of the former ones. And I'm going to give it back to you in a moment, let you talk about identity or whatever you want to with this. But they stood, they sought their register. They're looking for the roots. They didn't know who they are. Man, if that's not powerfully connected to where we're at today, people just don't know who they are. That's the mixture of the Pergamos church. Is they're in Adam, then they're in Christ. They don't know where they're at. You know, and the bottom line is they're in the middle of uh, uh, this confusion and they cannot feed on most holy things. No, they couldn't eat, they couldn't, you know, they were put forth from the priesthood. Mm -hmm. They were as polluted. They don't know they're a chosen generation. They don't know they're a royal priesthood. So they're not feeding on what's behind door number three. What's behind door number three? A mercy seat with a golden pot of manna mm -hmm. and a white stone. All, all this, that, that's all what is behind there. They're, they're not feeding on that yep. because they've been uh, disqualified by a covenant that constantly disqualifies them. Until there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim, which Urim and Thummim means light on perfection. Until there stands up a priest mm -hmm. with some light on perfection they won't be able to feed on it. But the book of Hebrews grabs that and he says, for one, by one offering, he has sanctified, he sanctifies us, he says it like this, he sanctified us by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he goes on to say in that same chapter, a few verses below, whom he sanctified, he also perfected forever. Yeah them that are sanctified. So the light that we have on perfection is that there has stood up a priest. After the order of Melchizedek in the New Covenant, that priest was Jesus Christ. And he said, you've been sanctified based on nothing else except the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And not only have you been sanctified by that, you've been perfected forever. So them that have been sanctified. When you start to eat on that, in other words, there is a ministry on the scene right now, Jeremy. There's a priesthood that's come on the scene that's not declaring just what's wrong with you. It's declaring what's right with you. And they're not giving you a black stone. They're giving you a white stone. They're not disqualifying you from priesthood or declaring you polluted. They're saying, you've got the right genes. You've been born from above. You've got a new identity. Yeah. Jump in there. You know, and even as we've been talking uh, about that, the, you know, Pergamos meaning mixed, mixed marriage, you see many <laughs> patterns throughout the scriptures of even the marriage of uh, the marriages that would take place that would bring those that were sometimes uh, not even qualified necessarily yep, yep. for uh, the family of God be brought into family. God, I thought about when we were saying, you know, when you think about, uh, he says, you know, I'm going to give you a new name written. To me, a new name, the new name written is not just like some uh, spooky thing, but to me it's the family name of God. You know, when, when, when he says, you know, if you ask anything in my name, it's more than just saying in the name of Jesus. To me, it's always, uh, you know, one of the things the Lord has really showed me, it's uh, asking 
and an identity as a son. If I ask anything as in, in, in the, the family name, in the so, family name yeah. as an identity of a son, God's not going to withhold it from me because I'm his son. He gonna, it's his good pleasure to bless his children, you know. And I thought about uh, to get a new name that you know that really shows you a marriage as well. That you know, uh, if you think about the story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, here was Ruth who was married to another. She's a foreigner from a foreign country. In the midst of living in that foreign country, her old husband dies in the midst of a famine. Yeah. And she's got, so she, here she is married to a man that's left her in the midst of a famine. Sounds to me like a lot of yeah, Adam again. what Adam did yeah, in our us. old nation. You know, but she gets up and goes to a new country, and she starts out just gleaning from the edges of this field because it was illegal for her to enter the field, but she could glean from the, the outskirts of it. And she catches the eye of her near kinsman redeemer who begins to tell his sowers, you know, leave her handfuls of purpose. Eventually she comes to a place where she goes at night and lays at his feet and uncovers his feet and lays at his feet uh, speaks to me of when you talk about even this tabernacle where we talked about the children of Israel, the camp at rest, the first place you come to in the tabernacle is when you think about the, the furniture being arranged in the shape of a cross, if you was to lay Jesus in the tabernacle, his feet would be at the brazen altars where we cut, where we identify with salvation. Mm -hmm. now, let, let me connect something real quick. I don't sure. hate to just interrupt you, but, but when he, in Revelation chapter 1, when it identifies him, his head is like white and his breast, you know, the is gold, his feet are brass. Mm -hmm. So that would lay him right in the tabernacles in the outer court. Be, he, his feet would be in the brass dimension. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, Ruth comes and uncovers Boaz's feet at night. She lays at his feet, or she comes to this brazen altar, identifies with him, and what he does then is begin to take her in as his near kinsman, or takes her in as his wife. He redeems her, brings her back into the right family. Ruth never had to go glean from the field ever again. Yep. She married the man that owned the field. She, if anything, she asked in her husband's name. From that point on, if she wanted some corn, the corn was going to be brought to her. She wasn't going out there to pick no corn no more. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's really as we identify that a new name being written, we're brought into the family name of God. You look at the Shulamite woman uh, in the in the Song of Solomon. Uh, she starts out saying, "I'm as black or I'm as dark as the curtains of Kedar." She has a miss identity of herself, but he begins to show her, no, you are altogether lovely. In other words, here's Solomon, who is a picture again of our uh, of our King, King Jesus, yeah, or even our, our priesthood, who stands up with a light on perfection. We see ourselves as not worth it. We see ourselves as lowly, dark, everything that's wrong with us. Our high priest comes with a light on perfection and says, no, you are altogether lovely, my dove. Uh, my, you know, there is no spot in you. There's nothing that I see wrong. And he begins, our high priest begins to not pick out the dark stones that, that said we're guilty. He begins to pick up the white stone that shows us everything that's right about us. He begins to say, you're not guilty. You're not worthy of death. I, 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 there's the, when the, you know, when, when you look at the, the, the Urim and Thummim, if, if a dark stone was pulled out of that bag, it meant you were guilty. It meant that you were uh, disqualified. The, the disqualified. The death penalty was probably going to be laid upon you. But if that white stone came out, it meant that you were not guilty. That the the charges laid against you uh, have been acquitted. Have been acquitted. It wasn't true what they said about you. And when you begin to realize this in the new covenant, that's really what's true of us: is that what was worthy of death, what was guilty, was put to death in Christ. Under a new covenant, there's never a black stone that's ever. Uh, yep. pulled out again. It's always the white stone that says you are not guilty. You are a new creation. You are a brand new person that, that's righteous, that's holy. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Our high priest 
always has a white stone, it shows you the perfection of who you are. It begins to put you, change your mind and begins to, again, bring you to this place of repentance. To me, when he says, this is what's promised to the overcomer, it's not that I have to fight to overcome. It's that I simply, what, what brings me to an overcome, what makes me an overcomer is when I repent or change my mind about my identity, I begin to believe the right report. Uh, you know, we, we sing song, that song in church, whose report will you believe? Well, the report of the Lord is that you are not guilty. You are not a sinner any yep. longer. You are not an orphan. You are not a widow. You've been made a son of God. You know, John... You're not under a curse. It's like Balaam was trying to put him under. You're, you're not, not under, under a curse. Him. You know, John says that uh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. We see uh, in this book of Revelation a, a bride coming down out of heaven, adorned, a, a, a church, a new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned. We find out that we've been married to Christ, that we're His bride, so we're not a widow any longer. We're not left powerless because of what Adam did. We're not left in a land uh, of, uh, that's in a famine any longer. We're brought into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Uh, you know, it, when you look at that identity, when you begin to change your mind, simply to me, to overcome is not that I'm fighting the devil to try to get something. To me, overcoming is when I change my mind about who I am, the identity that I have, when I realize I have a new name written. In other words, my old name in Adam is not who I am. It's, it, it's been blotted out. I've, been, I've got a new name in Christ, and I can use the family name boldly. It's not yep. a shame to use the family name. I can use it because that's truly who I am. Yep. A son doesn't have to be ashamed. You know, even if you've messed up, I think about... Uh, you know, the prodigal son who messed up and thought, you know, I'm living in a hog pen. I'm going to go back to father's house and just live as a servant. He couldn't live as a servant. He had to come back as a son because he's a son. Nothing can change that. Can, Nothing can yeah. negate that. Nothing can ever change who you are. You know, even if we've messed up as a new creation, it doesn't negate the fact that we're sons. We can still come back to father's house. Now, do we continue to live in sin so that grace can so much more abound? No, somewhere along the line it dawns on you that I, my, I am not a sinner any longer. I am not prone to disappointment of my father. I'm not prone to sin. I am prone to righteousness. That's my identity. That's my nature. As a son of God, that's who I truly am. And I begin to change my mind. When I repent, change my mind about my identity, sin will no longer have any dominion over yep. you. Because you are not under Adam who was under the law. You are in Christ. And any man that's in Christ is a new creation. He is not dominated by sin in the law. He's dominated by righteousness, yep. abundance, and a life in Christ. Yes. To me, that's the blessing. When, you, when he says, if you read this book, you're going to be blessed, that's the blessing this book begins to give because it's what changes your mind about who you are. It brings you up. See, I'm not looking for someday I get the blessings of God. I'm looking to have the blessings of God right now because he's freely given it to me. And the more I change my mind about my identity, the easier access I'm having to the kingdom of God. Yes, sir. And I, I, you know, I look at that and I think about, uh, you know, the, the more we are brought into that fresh identity, and we receive that new name, that new nature. Uh, you know, I was thinking while you were talking about the book of John, it says the seed of God cannot, the, the Greek literally says, I think, I understand, cannot habitually practice sin. Whatever is born of God does not commit sin. In other words, uh, you know, I, uh, once again, people say sometimes, well, the message of grace is going to cause people to sin. Not if it's preached with identity. Mm -hmm. Because when you really know who you are, if you are sinning, 
it's because you don't know who you are yet. Yeah. You, you have, in other words, you have not come in and fed on what He's promising this church at Pergamos. To him that overcomes, He's going to eat hidden manna. He's going to get a white stone and a new name. And I believe one of the problems have been, you know, I think about even under the Old Covenant, it was like, you know what, you were warned to stay away from that most holy place. Only the priest could go there, and only once a year. And then not without the blood of bulls or of goats. But now we're invited as a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, to enter into that which is within the veil, yeah. which is the most holy place where we can feed on you know, yep. our, our new identity. We yep. feed on the fact that we can have hidden manna, which Jesus, like I said, Jesus said a while ago, you know, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. That if a man well, when eats you talk about wives, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. When you submit yourself unto your husband Christ, it's not Christ running right. over you, you submit yourself unto him. In other words, you're, you're doing stuff out of love for your husband that you know pleases your husband. So it's not, you're, it's not so you're not going to sin because you're submitting unto your husband who you know flows yep. from righteousness. Yep. And it begins to change who you are. You're just going to do things just because that you know that's what your husband yep. would do. As a son, a son has a father who begins to raise him and direct him and, and guide him into the right ways of which he should do so that he grows up into a godly son. That you know, When I was a kid, there was correction you had to bring at times. Yep. There was things that you had to teach me. Not all your corrections was always where I got a stick. It was sometimes just sitting down and saying, your son, this is what we do. This is how I, I, I expect things. And because yep. my love for you, did I always do things the way you do them? No. But as I gotten older, I realized the wisdom of my father, and I and people look at me and can see the wisdom of my father in me. They can see that I've grown up to be something that represents you good, and that's the same way it is in Christ. When we begin to identify that we have a father, we're not an orphan, we're not a widow, we have a husband. We submit ourselves unto our husband, and we have a father that teaches us the way we should go, yeah. so that when we're old, we won't depart from it. There may be times of messing up, that doesn't make us a sinner. It's just we're growing up into who we are as an identity that makes us righteous, and we realize we've got a new name, and as we realize that true new name we have, it causes a nature to come up out of us that we will not sin because it's impossible for us to do that because that's just not who we are. That's exactly right. When you start to feed on that, that's the diet I believe God wants to bring this church at Pergamos yep. to. It's the sword that's coming out of His mouth, the word that flows from rest, Hebrews 4.12. It is not sitting under Balaam's doctrine that curses you every time you turn around, beats you up, disqualifies you from feeding on what's behind the veil. It is a priesthood that's standing up. I believe we're standing in a day when there is a priesthood that's coming on scene. I'm so encouraged even about what I'm seeing on Christian television because it's gaining more and more momentum. It's shifting from a browbeating put you down to a very positive feeding you on hidden matter, feeding you on your new identity, feeding you on uh, the truth of God's Word. And that's really bringing a tremendous paradigm shift. It's bringing the real repentance that simply means a change in the way you think. We're just about to run out of time. This has been four great programs on Pergamos. If you've missed any of them, go back and watch them on YouTube. They'll bless you. Take a few moments to sit down and write to us to the address on the screen. Call the number on the screen. And uh, if you want to sow into this ministry, become a partner with us as we take the gospel literally around the world. We welcome that and we appreciate it deeply because it's what is empowers us to do that. Take a moment uh, to do that, send us a note on Facebook or via email, and we appreciate it. God bless you. Tune in again next week at the same time is our prayer. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his Father. 
Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.